So for these next five weeks, we're going to be talking about some opportunities that God, I think, is giving each of us and collectively as a congregation. I want to step forward into this today. Um, I I like to do this every now and then. I even get questions on this every now and then, but maybe just give you some glimpses into my own devotional life, and maybe in that, something can resonate with you. Um, I've hit this place, I, I like to read, and in my reading, realizing there's a lot of these, like, what you would call classics that I just haven't hit. This happened in the movie realm for me too, where I love to watch movies, but you realize there's all these classic movies that carry so much like weight that because of my age, I've just never come around to see. And I started to get convicted on it just a little bit going, especially as a pastor, but even just as a Christian man, there's some of these things that have stood the test of time for hundreds, if not over a thousand years, that God has worked through to hone and shape and develop in people. I guess you could say even on a side, there's certain things like as a pastor, I'm just like, man, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I haven't read this yet. Like, how can you say that you like action movies and not have seen The Terminator? You know, it's, it's a classic. You just have to do it at some point. And the same goes true with a lot of this ancient Christian Literature. So for the past few weeks, I have been schlogging through Augustine's, or Augustine, if you prefer that pronunciation, but I have been schlogging through Augustine's Confessions. Anyone here ever read it? Now that, yeah, right, right, exactly. So, so that's why we get along. We're in good company. Even just as a piece of literature, it's important because it's considered to be the very first autobiography really ever written, at least in the modern sense. Because what Augustine is doing in this book is reflecting on his own life since childhood. And not like just like bragging about himself like people would brag about their exploits and kings would write beforehand, but really doing some honest self-reflection into his weaknesses, his doubts, his failures. And how God had been meeting him in that and reflecting on it, watching God's journey in his life over the decades. It sounds great, but I found that reading it was a lot like watching an 80s movie, especially like an 80s comedy. You tell yourself it's funny, but you go back and you watch it and it's really kind of boring. It's like, have you noticed this? These, those of you who are my age and older, these, these movies like Caddyshack, Airplane, Ghostbusters, I can go on that like, in your mind, they were like, oh my gosh, those movies were great. And then you try to show them to your kids and they're just like, you know? And, and inside yourself, you're kind of going, why did I think this was so good? Like, like what was wrong with me back then? I found that reading Augustine's Confessions was a lot like watching in the 80s comedies. Overall, it was kind of boring, but it is filled with a lot of great one-liners. Let me share a couple of them with you. Here's one that I just like love right off the bat, where Augustine goes, Lord, give me chastity and give me continency, but don't give it to me yet. (laughs) You know, isn't that great? That, that, that's true reflection right there. I like this one. 
Or in reflecting on God, he just says something like this. He goes, Lord, I was made for you alone, and my heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Does that have like teeth to it? Isn't that good? He gives this description of God. He's reflecting, how can someone even begin to call on God until they know something of who God is? Who are you, O oh Lord? He's reflecting. And I want to read to you this little excerpt he gives, which is just like the coolest thing I've ever heard as a description of God. Now, bear with me. For reasons beyond my comprehension, I chose a translation that was from the 19th century, and that made it more painful. So stay active with me and work through this, because I'm going to read it as he writes it. Most highest, most good, most potent, most omnipotent, most merciful, yet most just, most hidden, yet most present, most beautiful, yet most strong, stable, yet incomprehensible, unchangeable, yet all-changing, never new, never old, all-renewing, and bringing age upon the proud, and they know it not, ever working, ever at rest, still gathering, yet needing nothing, supporting, filling, and overspreading, Creating, nourishing, and maturing. Seeking, yet having all things. You love, yet without passion. Are jealous, yet without anxiety. You repent, and yet grieve not. Are angry, yet serene. Changest thy works, thy purpose unchanged. Receivest again what thou findest, yet didst never lose. Never in need, yet rejoicing in gains. Never coveting, yet exacting and demanding. You receive over and above that you may owe. And who hath anything that is not thine? You pay debts, owing nothing. Remit debts, losing nothing. And what have I now said? My God, my life, my holy joy... Or what saith any man when he speaks of thee? Yet woe to him that speaks not, since the mute are even the most eloquent. Doesn't that just kind of like get in you a little bit, this great, mysterious, wonderful God who we only begin to see glimpses of? Maybe my favorite quote, though, is this. Let's see if I can get it on the screen. Enter my heart, O Lord, and inebriate it. Now, for those of you under the age of 72, do you know what the word inebriate means? <laughs> to get drunk. Enter my heart, God, and make it drunk with you. I love that. Have you ever been drunk on God, inebriated with God? Those of you who have, who have had those moments, you know it is unlike any experience that I can even begin to explain. And for those of you who have not, fear not, cry out to God in this way. Cry out to God as Augustine did. Cry out, Lord, enter my heart. Enter my heart and make me drunk with 
you because what Augustine discovered is that there is nothing better, nothing richer, nothing more flavorful and filling, nothing more moving and shifting than the very presence of God in your life. Augustine will write, Christ gave his life for us that we may give our lives for God. In many ways, I think that encapsulates the entire Christian experience. That Jesus gave everything for you. He gave it all for you. His very life for you. Out of this deep, rich love of God that we in turn can be so shaped, so moved, so inebriated by what he has done in his presence in our lives. That we in turn give our lives to him. That's what this is all about here from Bible boot camp to mission trips to Sunday morning to everything else that we do. And God gives us this array of opportunity to discover that, to experience him, to be with him, to give our lives for him, to grow with him. He gives us so many opportunities for this, so many of which I certainly miss. How about you? Things that go by that we're not even paying attention to, so distracted by, so wrapped up in other things that we, 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 we fail to grasp that God was here and I missed it. And Augustine knew this full well. Oh Lord, enter my heart and make me drunk on you. Overwhelm me, O God, with the opportunities that unfold to be in your presence. It's what the Christian experience is all about. God has given us, hasn't he, so many opportunities to do exactly that. And I want to plunge just a little bit deeper into what that looks like today because said at its own right, it sounds great or wonderful or maybe scary or intimidating. Maybe very unsettling, wondering what does that kind of life look like and what will God ask of me and what will I lose and what will be brought to the fore that maybe scares me to let go of. Believe me, Augustine was there. I am so often there when you sit in the sea of people here today who have experienced just that or are still experiencing it too. And God gets it. God gets it full well, and he'll meet you right where you're at, inviting you to come and take and drink more deeply of him to discover the wonders of what a life drunk in God is like. But left to its own level, it can be without traction. And so what we've done here at Fellowship of Faith has put together a a guide, really, to help people take steps to experience him and be with him, to give their lives to him and grow with him. And today and for the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing aspects of that guide with you. 
Truly, hopefully, is a way not only to help you drink more deeply of the living God, but for us as a congregation also to see the opportunities God is giving us to drink more deeply of him and to help others come to the well as well. This first one I want to share with you today revolves around this word. To reconnect. Not just to connect, but to reconnect. To continually connect. I think of what Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, there I will be. Do you want to be with Jesus? He seems to be saying, get around people who are with me, and there I'll be. I think what the writer of the Hebrews says, where he goes, do not lose sight or give up the practice of meeting together regularly, but devote to yourself to it all the more, especially as the day of Christ's return is fast approaching. You'll find throughout the Bible these ideas that God works through community. God works when we connect with other people. It is often not when we are alone and in solitude, but when we are with others, that God kicks it up a notch to do his work. And that's what Reconnect is all about. Saying, Lord, if I want to drink deeply of you, this is not a solo endeavor, but happens when we gather collectively. And I'm telling many of you something that you know full well. Those of you who came to Bible Boot Camp, you saw your kids experiencing it, didn't you? Coming home, despite being 90-degree weather, hurricanes coming through, mosquitoes and exertion, and getting shot point-blank in the face. Despite it all, coming home, talking about what they learned, excited just about it, and even if they couldn't articulate it, parents, am I, am I speaking out of turn here? Speaking with a certain sense of vibrancy and joy and excitement, even among the fatigue <laughs> and the stress that it brings. Why? Because God works through community. We had these students on stage, and they didn't know I was talking about this here today. And they certainly shared aspects how God will come and speak to us alone and work with us individually. But there's something more that happens when we gather collectively. Why is it that people want to spend money to go to East St. Louis where it's 195 degrees in the humidity to work in raw sewage and go knocking on doors? Does that sound fun to you? And yet they go back every year. And they're saying yes. Because they're drunk on something. They are. They've learned what it means to be inebriated on God and how he works. Why do we gather in places like this? I see it here at Fellowship of Faith in so many ways. Why is it that what happens before and after church in that room where many of you are gathered today back there lasts longer than what we do in here? I mean, it gets to the point for like our, our hosts and things here that's like, like, let the dogs loose, go home, you, you, you know? Because we, we've discovered something I was here on Friday night. All these people gathering to play bunko together. You ever play bunko? Why don't I just roll dice at home? I have many. Because there's something about gathering together, sharing in fellowship with one another, if I can put it that way 
where God works. And so here at Fellowship of Faith, we say this. We never want to be a sea of nameless faces. We believe the way of Jesus does not go alone. And that we are called to be in fellowship with each other. Discipleship means doing life together. Now, there are many churches that operate on a principle that you come truly to be anonymous. And we need churches like that in this world. We really do. But that's not fellowship of faith. Because as important as that can be for people at certain times of their life, we believe that God fundamentally shapes and molds us and helps us drink deeply of him when we do it together. And so you'll hear us say that we want to be an Acts 2 church. And let me just give that specific passage out of the New Testament book of Acts that we mean. It says this. And would you actually do me a favor? I I hate like when people ask me to do this stuff, so I really feel bad, but not really. Would you read this out loud together with me? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. If you ever want to know what we are trying to be here at FOF, burn this passage into your brain. It is a vision of what I think God dreams for his people. But do you notice how community-based it is? Together, it is. Collective, if you will. I highlighted a few things in there. Look at this. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They knew it wouldn't happen accidentally. They knew it had to go beyond just moods and feelings. They understood that unless it was a commitment, it would find itself being pushed to the margins and eventually off the page. They devoted themselves to it because they knew in the fellowship God worked Look at how it describes them, that they were together and had everything in common. And I promise you this, they didn't have everything in common because they truly had everything in common. Where two or three gather in Jesus' name, there are four fights and five different opinions. No, it's because they devoted themselves to each other. They sought to find what they had in common in Christ as something that was more important than what they valued themselves. And they poured themselves into it. These people couldn't get enough of each other. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts, their version of church. And they couldn't get enough there. Hey, everyone over to my house. Breaking bread in their, ha- in, in their homes. And, and did you catch the, the, like the white font following it? And they were happy about it. They weren't coerced, forced, doing it out of guilt. They were looking forward to it. They did it with glad and sincere hearts. They discovered what it meant to be inebriated of God 
inebriated in his presence, in the shifting and shaping and molding that God does as he takes a human heart ah, and fills it with himself and energizes it and excites it and moves it to see him, to want him and hunger and thirst for him. Above all things, those early believers got it. And many of you do too. I look at the amount of people in this church that gather here and commit their lives to coming on Sunday morning to discover God and community, way to go. I see the amount of people that gather in groups we did a, a little metric work just recently going, we're just kind of like curious. Like, like how many people are actually gathering in groups? And it's actually more than our worship attendance. More people gather in groups than they do in our average Sunday morning. And when you add the people up who go to more than one group, it is over 700 people that are participating in groups. Craziness because you've discovered what it means to find life together, I see these table dinners that have formed in these very geogra various geographic areas, people breaking bread in their homes because they know that there's something there, even if I can't put my finger on it, that God is doing and that is filling me in a certain way and filling me with more than just what's being served on that table. I think of the people who are meeting in these events and these fellowship gatherings to do life together. These are all expressions of what reconnect looks like, what, what it means to connect with God. We put a challenge out on this. We say this. I covenant to, a personal promise, to worship regularly and connect with others frequently in smaller settings, to partner with others to further God's work in this church and our world. I think when it comes to worship, most of us are getting it. And if you're not, that's okay. Just start today and plunge yourself in. I think most of us are getting what it means to connect with others frequently in smaller settings. But it's this third line that I'd like to just bring some closing comment to here today. Because sometimes I don't think we have quite put our thumb on what it means to do it, not just to fill our own hearts, but to further God's work in this church and in this world. What opportunities is God giving fellowship of faith, is God giving us that we have not even begun to explore yet? to help other people get drunk on God. Or honestly, even for many of us, to drink deeply of him even more. Those of you who have been around the block here at this church for a while, you know that we have been talking about ways that we can explore this, ways that we can follow certain lines on this, things that we can think about. But can you imagine what it would be like if we weren't hemmed in to these two rooms? Can you imagine what it would be like 
If people could gather in bigger spaces, our leadership here had a chance to go visit a church not too far away up in Walworth County where they built this whole indoor children's park to try to connect with and bless their community. Because there's a lot of young families who might not know what it means to be drunk on God, but they know what it means to be drunk on their kids. And they know that their kids are looking for something. And when you're sitting in February in Walworth, Wisconsin, what do you do with your kids? And this church said, let's give them a place to connect, to meet, to gather. It's up in Lake Geneva not too long ago. And they opened this new tap room up there. And you maybe have been to some of these before, but this one was, was so cool because what you did is you gave them your credit card, they gave you a little thing, and you can go to the 40 different taps and get it by the ounce. We need to go there as a church. Would you agree? <laughs> or what if we did it here? What if we were stop, to stop thinking about church in the traditional ways that people think of what churches are supposed to look like and put in a beer garden? to put in space where people want to gather and can gather on more than just a Sunday morning or around scheduled events. What would that be like? I talk to people and see the amount of people who are even getting in bar leagues. They want to play together. I don't know any other way to put it. It sounds creepy when you're an adult to go play together, but there's no other way of putting it, is there? Volleyball or softball or whatever it might be, and we have church leagues and we do these things, and these are good things. But how many people who aren't drunk on God in our community are looking for an inroad, a place, to experience something like that freely? What if a church was truly to prize community and connectivity because they truly believe that God works through this kind of stuff? And if we commit ourselves to this kind of stuff and see it as a mission to let people experience the wonderful working of the amazing God, oh, what kind of church would they have on their hands These are the things that I'm thinking about, wondering about, and truly that our staff and our leadership is thinking and wondering about too. Things that I know that you have been talking about, that we've been talking about since May, that we've been talking about since last year, that we've been talking about since 2019. And I'm tired of letting opportunities slip by. The question I'm asking in my devotional life As I read things like this, God, what opportunity are you giving me? What opportunity are you giving this church that you've blessed me to lead? What opportunity are you giving each of us to get even more drunk on you? Because there is nothing better, more significant and lasting in this world than being in the presence and filled with the living God. Let's go after it together. And I want to encourage you to be asking and praying that same question. Lord, how? 
how can I experience more of you through community? And Lord, how can I partner with other like-minded believers in my community to further your work to others in this church and in this little section of the world that we have around us. I want to encourage you. Let's bring it to God tenaciously in prayer and make it more than just talk, but a pursuit of the opportunity that God may be laying before us. So let's pray. Lord in heaven, your opportunities are limitless and boundless, and yet each one is significant. Lord, give us eyes to see what you are opening before us as your people. Lord, help us to feel the stir of your spirit in, 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 in the voice in our mind, in, in, in our heart, in our will to pursue you. Lord, give us clarity and vision for the opportunity you're laying before us and to partner with you and each other in your work in this world. Forgive us, God. We, 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 we say it freely. We miss it so often. Forgive us, God, when we ignore it downplay it, or when fear holds us back, when we're not willing to pay the cost. Forgive us, God, when our priorities trump yours. Forgive us, God, when we get in our own way. Forgive us, God, when we insert our own agendas before your will. I pray that collectively you give us a discerning heart and mind to what you're opening up, rooted in the greatest thing that will ever be, a restless heart finding rest and fullness in you. Pray you bless our community here today. These people who have chosen to come and gather, may they know your presence, feel your presence, experience your presence, and even if it is not felt, to trust that, God, you are on the move and that your promise is sure. I pray that you pray for our community outside of these walls and this campus that curiosity would be piqued, a hunger and thirst for you would be stirred, even if they do not know who you are. And Lord, may we have hearts open and arms open to reach out, to go to them, to welcome them, to share with them what we've discovered and how you work. And through it all, may we be that Acts 2 community that is so precious to you. God, we pray. Amen.